we speak from is the idea of the recovery. And everyone's recovering from something in this place, yeah? seemingly. Some, some form of self-centeredness is causing their discomfort or how, how they're traveling so heavy. We just are extreme examples of self-centeredness, I think, alcoholics. We have actually a lot to teach others. I'm sure we're not actually working towards that to teach others, but we're a very good example of what a life on self-will would look like. So recovery usually takes us back to the root of the problem. And some of us learn this the hard way because obviously when I came in to recovery, I was so happy to blame all my behavior on drinking and using drugs. And then after about a year or two of being sober, the same behaviors were being exhibited in me. <laughs> and I hadn't had a drug or a drink for a couple of years. So I guess I was mistaken about the cause of my problems. And in a sense, I feel like I was also mistaken later on about the solution. I thought it was obsession with self, but I didn't know personally that it may be a little deeper than that. That it could be something other than that. It could be identification as self. And what I mean by that is we're identified as we're supposedly or seemingly living a life, we're identified with a someone that's living that life. Okay? That this is what's living life. Instead of seeing maybe this is just a conduit for life to happen through. Okay? And that actually what we are would be that life, not, what's it, not what it's moving through. And when that energy of life moving through becomes identified with what it's moving through, that's called identification of self, meaning a feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity or a single unit. And of course, the only way you could come about thinking that you're a single unit is to be identified as a body, obviously. Because this gives you a sense of being different from another body. So I can immediately believe I'm having private thoughts because the thoughts seem to be had by a body over here, and then there's a body over there having their own private thoughts. And it's difficult to get that maybe the same thoughts happening in your head are very similar to the thoughts that are happening in my head. Now, there's always a sense of being terminally unique. And that uniqueness is the, is the disease, I feel, the real disease. I remember very clearly, you know, like my golden years were between two and four when I was a kid. I was bright, wide awake. And at that point, I was living uh, unadorned with a narration. In other words, when I was playing, there was just playing going on. I wasn't thinking, will I be playing next week? Because I had no idea of what next week was. I didn't have a concept of time yet. I loved my mother, and I didn't see her as beautiful or ugly, because I had no concept of beauty and ugly yet. She could have been hugely obese and super ugly. I would have loved her anyway. All these things that I seem to have grown into over time weren't in place, and what was there in their absence was what I would call that wonder and awe, or that childlike vision. And I seem to have grown out of that childlike, child, childlike vision, but really what I did was my mind grew into an identification. I didn't grow out of anything. That is still in place. 
but I grew into being identified as this. And then this became the object of the narration in my head. What's going to happen to this later? What happened to this earlier? What could have happened differently than what happened? And all these supposed options that my mind just obsesses over that are based on total assumptions that if you look through them, you'll see they're not true. Like that you have the power to go back and redo things. You don't. Then why would you want to think about the past? The story it tells us is that that's how we learn about it. Have we? Have you? You If that's the premise, well, it's good to think about what I did because then I'll learn what not to do. Has it really worked a lot for you? I tend to keep doing whatever I did no matter what. I forget everything, you know, just especially alcoholism is the greatest example of that. How many times have you gotten your ass royally kicked and then you do go out the next night and do the same thing? Because it's obviously an extreme example of powerlessness, but in so many levels we're powerless. I mean, you can't even shit when you want to, literally, right? And sometimes you have to shit when you don't really want to, you know, like in a situation. You know, your body's farting and burping, you know, and smelling and all these inappropriate things to sort of promote you as a really attractive piece of whatever. It's always undermining your little agenda. <laughs> you have a breakout or a bad hair day or something happens. And so, and so you don't seem to have much power, really, and you're not pumping your own blood, are you? If you were, you would have been dead already because you would have forgot to do it. You know, same thing with your heart. And there'd be, there'd be pizzas and burritos in there that you forgot years ago that you ate and you never digested, you know. You'd be a walking little cesspool of bacteria and stuff. But we're basically on automatic, even as this. And the whole idea that we're thinking is absurd when there's all there is is the noting of thought. In other words, the why the thinking can be so dominant is the consciousness that we are. Because we're conscious of thought. We're conscious of hearing, feeling, seeing, tasting, and smelling. We're in conscious contact. In recovery, they say we want to improve our conscious contact with a higher power. But in my sense, what you're demonstrating as here is conscious contact. That's all you are. You're an expression of consciousness and contact with things. It's smelling, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching and actually seeing thoughts. So we are conscious contact. That's what living is. Living is conscious contact. But while the conscious contact, when you were probably young, if you weren't in an abusive family when the mind took over earlier and and lived in anxiety and fear and attempting to control your situations because it deemed to be uncontrollable to you, if you were in a typical sort of family, all there was was conscious contact for quite a while. Yeah? And there was no narration. It was like the football game was going on and there was no Howard Cosell in the booth, you know, commenting on the game. And your attention was only on the field because it it hadn't entertained there was an option not to be, literally. At that point, life was optionless. You were just there because your mind hadn't entertained it could be somewhere else yet. So it was just there exactly at all times right where it was. And then, as it grew, as the mind grew a little bit more, then the option that, hey, I could be somewhere else than where I am, started to happen. 
and then the mind made up these realms called what's not happening so that you could dwell there as a mind. Yeah? You can never go. No matter how much you want to think about next Friday, you're not transporting yourself as a body into next Friday. There is no... You wouldn't, if you could transport yourself, there would be no tarmac to land on. There's no airport called next Friday. There's no place to land. You can't drop yourself into next Friday as a body. Nor can you transport yourself back to last 2008 as a body. All the thing, all the mind can do is travel there with thought. Yeah. The best you can do, because if there's a surveillance camera tonight, none of us has left this room. You may not think you're here because you're there, but in fact, if you looked at the videotape of tonight, and it's all getting surveillance right now, we have a camera somewhere. You would, you would be there. The date would be underneath the tape I was just running, and you'd be surprised. There I am. I thought I was thinking about next week. Yes, I was thinking about next week, but it was happening now. So the thinking about next week is happening. Yeah? But how you... The thoughts, because of you actually, because of the sense of being a you, because you are really the root of what's not happening. This identification is being a body. So when the thoughts are about a body in next week, you can put yourself there in your mind, but you can't transport yourself as a body there. What happens, though, is your mind gets transported next week, and it downloads what if all the feelings and all the sensations it conjures up about what could possibly happen next week when I'm destitute, and it downloads it into the body now. So you react actually now to what's not happening. And in fact, all this body and this mind is, is a reaction constantly to what's happening from what's not happening. Every thought is about the past. Like in recovery, they say resentment is the number one offender, and resentment means to refeel. Well, I'm humbly t- you know, sharing with you that everything you always feel is, re- is a refeel. You're constantly refeeling, rethinking, and rehashing, and representing what's happening, yes? after it's been interpreted by what's not happening. So what's happening has an incredible quality to it that gets neutered when it's overridden by what's not happening. And the quality is that it's happening. There's a certain sense of aliveness in it because it's actually happening. It may not be real, but it's happening. That aliveness can't be extracted and put into what's not happening. It can be a promise of more aliveness, or a story about how less alive we'll be when you get there, or it can be a real story of so much more alive back then, or it was so much worse then, but it cannot produce its own aliveness, because it's not happening. <laughs> I hate to break the news to you. It's not happening. If anyone, if it is, let's bring it in. Let's bring it up. Come on. Let's, let's bring out what you're thinking. Let's put it on the table. I've got a nice little piece. We're going to all right, everyone's going to demonstrate their what's not happening. So is it next Friday? If you bring it on, that's okay. This is I'm going to be destitute. My girlfriend's going to sleep with my best friend. Okay, that's a pretty good one. Let's put it on. All right, next person. What's not happening? Oh, I was I was abused by my uncle, and that's why I haven't been able to hold a job my whole life. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, what's not happening? Okay, and so we'll have it all. But then no one can bring it up here. I like to see it. 
I'd like to see what's not happening up here and what's happening. It's impossible. So for it to seem real to us, what has to be blocked out? What's happening? If you want to truly, truly get, like have a surround sound, surround vision experience of what's not happening, the mind has to invalidate what's happening. It's just the way it goes. Because it won't be as juicy to it if there's something that's actually happening while you're busily entertaining what's not happening. It actually ruins its fun in a way. <laughs> because every second, you know, that's not happening is the obvious realization you're in. That's not happening. So all that entanglement and juiciness and, oh yes, resentment and the blaming and, oh, my hopes were dashed because of you back then, all that is dismissed by a simple recognition of what? What's happening? And the beautiful thing is, the simple demonstration of what's happening is always available at all times, because it's happening. So, what you're solely needing is always at hand every freaking moment. What, could the, what, what better movement in life could be called love than that? So, if you can be confused and get lost in what's not happening, what would be the greatest, greatest gift? The constant reminder of your salvation in what's happening. And, because what's not happening isn't happening, it doesn't have any power. Because it's not happening. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, a dream tiger only has a lot of power to evoke fear in you when you're a dream object. When you're entertaining you in the past and the future, the you that you're not, you are a dreamed object. And that dreamed object can be scared shit of what's going to happen to it in that dream Friday. And it can really be sure how scared it was in that dream three years ago. But the only way to get over being afraid of that dream tiger isn't to study how to stay near the tiger and not be afraid, or how to tame a tiger, or whatever, how to sort of roll over and play dead so the tiger doesn't eat you, or how to offer all your food to the tiger so you keep him at bay. No, the solution is, is to see that it's a dream tiger. You can never do that as a dreamed object. If you're identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, as this body, you're going to be scared shit of this world. Because this world is going to be as real as you think your body is. It's just that simple. So to try to convince yourself not to be afraid of what you're constantly convincing yourself to be afraid of is pointless endeavor. It's self trying to get out of self. It's pointless. The point is, if the dream tiger is a dream tiger, and you only notice that when you awake, and the beautiful point is, you are awake, then as soon as you awake, the dream tiger, the fear that was provoked, doesn't take one nanosecond to get over, because you wake up to the fact that what? It was a dreamed tiger, or a dreamt tiger. In other words, what's not happening only has a hold on you when you believe that it's happening. And you only believe that it's happening because, in a sense, you're not rooted in what's happening. So, when you're untethered from what's happening, you can take what's not happening to seem real. 
And so, of course, what we do here in this world, we sort of share what's not happening with each other so that each other can co-sign each other's what's not happening and get some agreement that I really feel for you about what's not happening. <laughs> and I think I know someone who can really help you with what's not happening. Instead of just admitting it's not happening. Because the only real solution to what's not happening is the recognition it's not happening. <laughs> Any other solution about what's not happening is making it seem to be happening. Doesn't it? Is that too far to find, to look and see? If I keep trying to get out of what's not happening, then I'm actually living as if it's happening. So the solution, all the solutions that are often in what's not happening, if they're applied to what's not happening, is the bigger what's not happening. So it's just a quick recognition. And it seems like an impossible leap. That's why we invite you, because there's no leap at all. That's why it seems impossible. Because a leap would even give it relevance to what's not happening. There's no need to even take one step away from the dream tiger. There's just a recognition it's a dream tiger. Yeah. There's no movement away. There's no movement trying to get over on it. There's no movement getting armament for it. You just recognize that it's an imaginary problem, so there's no need to apply a solution to it. <laughs> and that is what I would say what people, I believe, mean by the solution. See, to me, the solution is recognition that it's an imaginary problem. That's the solution. It doesn't take anything to do. Now, there's a lot of doing and having going to go on here. And in the conditionality, this is going to convey tons of doing in its life because it's an action figure. That's what it does here. It's wound up with conditioning and it's like a bumper car race. It's bumping into bumper cars and reactions are happening. So there's a whole lot of activity. But the whole point, is, it, is all that activity happening to anyone? Or is it just happening? So is life just happening, or is it happening to me? Or something that I really like isn't happening to me, it's happening to you. And I want it to be happening to me. Yeah? Or is it just life is happening? There's the movement, it's, but the interpretation is almost more important than the movement. Because most people are looking at life as happening to me, or for me, or by me, or as me. Yes? So, and there's all these subdivisions. There's the victim, there's the perpetrator, there's the great, powerful, all-knowing one, there's the very small, unsure of one, and all these activities of selfing arise based on this premise. Yeah? We're not trying to get any help with all those activities. We're just trying to get to the root of it. If the root is baseless, yes, then it's causeless. If it's causeless, it has no effect. If it seemed to be causeless, if it's not a real problem, it has no real effect. That's the solution. Yeah? So what do I do? If I'm in recovery, I do all the things I need to do to stop waking myself out of this trance of living in what's not happening so that I can get into the basic vicinity of what's happening, in the basic conscious contact of the day, and that will be my immunity to falling into the realm of what's not happening. Because every time what's not happening arises, I can at least admit, hey, that's not happening. If it means I have to run over to the calendar and see that it's Wednesday night, 2010, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah? 
Or I can just see if any of what I'm thinking about, is it actually happening in the room that I'm thinking it in? Like she's fucking my best friend right there, or someone's firing me, or I've got cancer, the doctor's telling me right now, are they in the room? Is anything actually happening? No? Okay. Then, as soon as there's that no, there's sort of a not, it's like an involuntary yes. You don't have to say yes, that's the yes. Yeah? You see, you tell the truth about what's not happening, and that's what's happening. There's nothing more or less you need to do. See, I was speaking to some people today. There's a, there's a theme or the way this place moves, this place of mental, emotional, energetic uh, appearance, energy here, this world. And it's called duality. Yeah? So let's say someone says, your problem is your emotions are unintegrated. Yes? You were hurt when you were a kid. You shut down emotionally, da, da 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 there's all these blind spots, you're not really available to life, you're emotionally crippled, which most people say, as soon as you started to drink alcoholically, that's when you stop growing emotionally. So most of us come into recovery as like 12-year-olds, yes, supposedly, emotionally. <laughs> so all this stuff, so okay, and, then, and you'll have a sense of it, and you'll be like, yeah, that's my problem. I'm, my emotions are not integrated, so what's the solution? To integrate them. Yes? This is duality. Duality. Non-integration is the real cause of me having a problem. And if I integrate them, I won't have a problem. That's the bigger problem. Thinking that there's unintegrated and then integrated is going to make it all better. That's the dilemma here. So people go, okay, I just woke up. I've been in a trance my whole life. I've been totally unconscious. So now I who was unconscious, is going to become conscious. Yeah? But in fact, there was no you that was unconscious, there was just unconsciousness manifesting or expressing, and then there was consciousness expressing. But what you truly are is the neutral point between those two movements. You are consciousness. Yeah? You are not a body that was less spiritual and now is more spiritual. You're spirit. There is not, and there is not, you are not a body that was less spiritual. In other words, all I was doing is running around and using people and taking advantage, and I, oh, I thought I would base desires, and I was just greedy for sex and all this. And now, I'm a, whatever, a saint, yes. So now I was unspiritual, and I came to my senses, and now I'm spiritual. That's the bondage, the true bondage here. The true bondage underneath the bondage that we recognize. See, because we recognize bondage and then we want freedom from that, but we don't see the real bondage of the bondage freedom. Yeah? That there's the you, that's the true bondage, that now thinks it was what was in bondage and now is going to be free. The you being identified as the you is the bondage. Not if, even if it appears to be free, it's still a you appearing to be free. That's bondage to self. It's not... Freedom from discomfort for just to have comfort. It's freedom from the one who thought it was in discomfort, who now thinks it's going to get into comfort. That's the freedom. It's a different kind of freedom. It's freedom from the bondage to self. The bondage can be a good adhesion or a bad adhesion, yeah? Like two sides of the same coin. This is like a two-sided piece of tape. It tapes both ways. You put this on, oh, I'm really great now, and oh, I'm really terrible now. The mind is selfing the whole time. Yeah. 
Now, of course, it's much more preferable to be great here. It's sort of like being in hell, and you've gotten to move up to, like, you know, Pacific Heights of hell, where it's one degrees less hot than the rest of hell, but you're still bonded to this identification of being self. That is not a new freedom and a new happiness. It's just a rehashed freedom and a rehashed happiness. Yes? The new freedom and the new happiness to me is to recognize I neither this nor that. Yes? I'm neither what can become conscious, nor am I what can become unconscious. I am just consciousness. And if that's recognized, then my head doesn't become the arbiter of my spiritual condition. My head isn't what tells me I'm really spiritually fit, and then conversely the next day tells me I'm spiritually unfit. Because there's a choiceless, optionless realization, I am spirit. So this job of sitting there and, and announcing how the hell I'm doing, yeah, from this mental process called selfing, and, and you know what it's like. You can work really hard to be spiritually fit, and then you do all this and all that, it may give you an hour at a meeting feeling that way. But then if you do one thing it thinks is wrong, like, you know, maybe you desire someone, oh, that's not, a, a spiritual person wouldn't have a desire for that woman. Okay, you're unfit. <laughs> now who's, or what's playing God at that point? I would say the head's playing God, isn't it? Because the spiritual nature that you are is optionless. And yet it becomes arbitrary to it. Because it's put itself above your own nature. You have become identified as its nature, which is really an expression between these two poles. Good and bad, high or low, healthy, sick, conscious and unconscious. So this sense of a firm source of authenticity is always on shifting sands based on the mind's interpretation of it. That piece is nothing to rely on. Because it's unreliable. And the whole system that we're suffering from is we're relying on something unreliable. It's called self. Yeah? It says it very clearly in the in recovery book. It says, why do you have so much fear today? And it doesn't let you answer, which is great, because we go off, you know, pages of why I'm in fear, her and him, and my pants are too short, or whatever. No one's ever gone out with me before, and whatever. So, it says, okay, why, why do you have so much fear today? And then, period, and then he answers you. Answers it. He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Yeah. So, self-reliance is a failed system, in other words. So, if you're relying on that as being you, which is bigger than God, any day, the biggest meaning that you can give anything is that it's you. God is a secondary big meaning. It's maybe on your list it's not even that important, but you definitely are to you. It's the biggest meaning your head can give anything. Yeah? So, there, you make the self the God, yeah? and that self is defined by duality. So the self has no inherent value. It's accrued or lost. Yeah? Either I do something really good and I keep doing something really good and I get to feel like I'm okay, or I've done something really bad that I get to feel terrible about. And so it has, to, it has no inherent value, so it always has to go out and either lose value or gain value. 
to get a sense of worth, yeah? But if you are valuable to begin with, wouldn't that be the freedom from all that freaking seeking? And wouldn't that be the true relief from that, that thing playing God? It wouldn't be able to dictate or to announce your condition. You would have a prior condition. You would see that what is playing God in you has risen from a mental process yeah? that you're conscious of. And if you're conscious of the mental process, it cannot possibly be you. If I'm seeing something, that thing is not me. I'm more what's seeing than the thing I'm seeing. So if I'm seeing a mental process called selfing, I cannot possibly be that process. I am the awareness or the consciousness that sees that process. And the freedom from the process is just that. I am with what's seeing that process. I am not that process. Yes? I am what's seeing this body. I am not this body. Or as Jesus, I think he meant in a way, that I'm in this world of body and things and separation and thoughts and feelings and time and space, but I'm not of it. I am not of time. I am not of space. I am not of body. I am not of things. I am not of thoughts. Yes? I am not of feelings. I must be what witnesses all of that because I'm in this place, but I'm not of it. Yeah? So what's in this place, but is never, 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 never seen to be of this place, is consciousness. Because you never can see, feel, taste, smell, and think consciousness. Consciousness, yes, is, can be guessed best, let's say, quote-unquote, felt as a sense. A sense of presence, a sense of something in the space, a sense of intimation of other than things. Yeah? That is truly what we are. Not what we're seeing, not what we're feeling, and not what we think is seeing, and not what we think is feeling. Because what is thinking, what we think is feeling is the mental process. The mental process, yeah, what I call selfing, the conditioned brain and mind, through thought and beliefs and concepts and interpretation, is making up a sense that there's a Paul that everything is happening to and everything is happening from. Yeah. It becomes what they call in the system self-centered. The center of the whole system is the idea that there's a noun called Paul. And Paul now is the big doer and haver of life. And life is happening to Paul. And some things Paul wants to happen, some things Paul would like to avoid. And so his whole plan is to try to control life so that he can avoid what he doesn't want and get what he wants. And yet we all have experienced that a life run on self-will, which is really based on that, is unsuccessful. Because you can't escape what you don't want here while you're wanting something. Because they're two sides of the same coin. When you pick up the coin and you like the heads part, you also have to experience the tail part. Yeah? Because you can't cut the... T no matter how many times you cut the coin, it's going to be two-sided, yes? <laughs> so if you want freedom in this world, you're going to suffer imprisonment. <laughs> the freedom is from both, not from one or the other. It's from both. And so there's a singularity being expressed through this duality. This is the conveyor of duality. This is... The prism that takes the undifferentiated light and differentiates it. That's what happens here. Yes? 
When consciousness moves into this body, it separates into things, and it experiences self as other. And it runs around, fooled, taking all these dream tigers with the power to affect it, because it's, a, it's identified as the dream object. We're just pointing out that nothing has truly changed. You are that singularity. Even though you're appearing and expressing and acting and living as if you're a duality. You're in this world of duality, but you're not of this world of duality. Yeah? You're in it. There's no denying that. There's an in here. I'm not saying you're in it, but there's in it. But I'm, what we're saying is there's no denying. He's not saying there's, there's no in. He's saying, hey, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. The ofness is what can be intimated while you're traveling in this place as this. You can intimate what you are as the expression of your what you're not is activated. Instead of being fooled that the expression of what you're not is what you are. If you are fooled, that ignorance is going to be the hotbed for suffering. It's just the way it goes. And why? Is that a big leap? Look at, look at, look at your life. Look at other people's lives. You can drop someone who's an addict or an alcoholic into heaven and it would be hell in a day. They would find fault in what's, what's faultless in about 20 minutes. There is no heaven up here. There's heaven and hell. There is no heaven. There is no peace here. There's a conceptual peace which is a comparison with a conceptual chaos. There is no love here. There's a love that is sort of an opposite movement of hate. Yes? Look at it. Look at the relationships that we call loving relationships, and I bet you there's more hate displayed in a loving relationship than you do with strangers on the street. You would never say what you said to someone who you quote-unquote love to someone on the street. You'd never say it. First of all, you'd get your ass kicked most of the time. But because they're supposedly love, we think it's time to dump all our shit on them. <laughs> So, okay, I really worked fine, hard finding someone to love so I could spool all my hate on them, really. It's not you. That's what the mind is like. It's defined. It's movement here. This is the expression of duality. See it. Your brain is left and right hemisphere. You've got a left and right arm. You've got left, two eyes, two things, two legs, two arms. Yes? Yes, no. Left and right. We're totally an expression of duality as this. Yet what's expressing as duality or in the duality is not of duality. It's of oneness. To me, it's nothing. So it's, it's nothing without a first. Some people in spiritual scenes say it's one without a second. No, I don't believe that. I believe it's nothing. Zilch without a first. It's totally, totally neutral from this movement. There's no need of being one without a second. There's just nothing as we know it here. Yeah? Nothing is not known here. All we know here is something. But nothing is the mother of something. Without nothing, none of this would have appeared. And yet, none of this has an effect on nothing. How could it? How can you affect nothing? <laughs> yet nothing is the mother of every other thing. That is the duality. And there, underneath that is the freedom from it. So you take the movement, first you see the movement, of the movement, yes, and then you then you see the other one, and then is and then it's neither. That's the beauty of the message, yeah. So there's not a one, there's not a two, there's nothing, but nothing, not even with a something, yes. 
a nothing prior to nothing and something, let's say. Or as they, you know, it can get into it and into it and into it, but in a way, simply put, what you're really looking for is your own absence. What your absence is actually, when you're absent, that's when presence is available to you. It's when you're present, then, abs- when, then presence seems to be a goal that you want to try to find and get, because obviously you're not sensing it. If you were present, you wouldn't be signing up for a, a two-year class on how to be present. <laughs> the problem wouldn't be, dr- you wouldn't be driven that way. But when you're absent, yes, when you're absent, there's the presence. When you're present, the presence becomes an idea that you may want to entertain. But if you want to entertain it as a presence, that will always be absent in your life. Yeah? You will not have the sense feeling, the sense of the presence, as a present. That's why it says, in some of those people, like St. Francis would say, you die to the self and then you're reborn. Or it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn, or then you feel it. Yes? So in the self-forgetting, at that point, the self is an absence, that's the presence. When, you, when the self arises and goes, oh, I really like that experience I had of that presence, I'm going to start trying to become more present, that's the absence of the presence. Immediately, right? Immediately. It, as, it, as soon as you show up, it becomes something that's out here somewhere. Yeah? That you have to practice or do to get. Isn't it? It's just the way the head does it. So you're absent. Let's say you're in the water or something's going on, and there's, there's no narrator, there's no intermediary, there's no Howard Cosell. There's an absence, and it's fully present. Living is going on. Then you come out of the water, and then the absence starts becoming present. That is you. It says, oh, I had a great session. and Hey, did you see me catch that wave? That was really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm a real good surfer or whatever. So now, the, the absence has become present, and now, what made it so enticing, that event, has now become absent. So seeking starts occurring. Yes? And of course, the seeking says, I can only feel that presence when I'm surfing, or when I'm doing something. So it has to make it special and unique, and actually something that can be really infrequent. <laughs> so that you can be busy seeking it. Seeking it, seeking it, seeking it, seeking it. Yes? But as soon as you lose interest in self... That's your absence, and that's the presence. You're saying once you're actually present, you never really know if you're out Exactly. It's kind of like Nirvana, right? There is no happier time than it is. Exactly. Exactly. It's when you're out of it is when the abs- when you as a self has now seemingly become present. Yes. Then the presence becomes absent. Then it becomes a goal for the absence to try to get. <laughs> Instead of recognition of... The absence is the presence. And the beautiful news is, the absence is always absent. It only seems present to you as a you. Yes? It never seems present to you as what you are. The presence never mistakes itself to be self, (laughs) in a sense. The consciousness, caught up in the idea of self, forgets. The awareness, yeah? But the awareness never forgets. So the whole point is, is just to freaking tell the truth. Maybe in a way, start small in a way. Start, and then you'll start having immunity to thought. Just see what the thoughts are about. 
are they really about exactly what's happening now, or they're always about something else? Yeah? And even if they are directed at what's happening now, are they coming from now, or are they about the past? Is the now being seen as something that reminds you of something else? Most of us are just living from memory. That's what the mind does, yes? It represents life. So, life is seemingly happening, and what it does, it goes into a memory, and it represents it based on past. So that you can navigate it maybe easier. That's its strategy, but do you? Because you lose the, the aliveness of the moment when it's neutered and made an interpretation, don't you? Then you have to have memories of when you felt good, or really what most of us are driven by are hopes that someday we'll really feel great. It's never now, it's always put off, isn't it? Even if it's just five minutes, you're always getting, you, we're really living up here as it will be okay, as long as it's later. <laughs> as long as it's later, I can really fervently believe it will be okay, but to entertain it's okay, no fucking way. You don't understand. I've had a bad day. Come on, let me enjoy this process. It, I'm telling you, it will be okay. But don't, you know, don't fucking fuck with my party here. It sucks right now. And I'm right about it. And I'm really off on it. And I, I've got to make a few calls. I've got to tell people, you know what I've been doing? Yes, I'm really caught up in some... Oh, yes, I see that you're really caught up. Ah, yes, I'm caught up. I have relevance. I'm caught up in something. I'm so entwined in this mess. And then what happens is, what's happening gets unnoticed. Yeah? And then what's happening can do what? It can appear to be happening. Because it doesn't have any truth to compare itself with. If all you're living on is what's not happening, there's going to be a sense of what's happening there. Yeah? So one of the ways we've taken a look at it is start simply. Look at the word my and see how it, what it represents in the English language. It's the act of identifying, yeah? So, it's simple to, to uh, see, see how much weight it carries. If you have a thought, and I have the same thought, and you share, let's say you have 12 thoughts about how bad you are, yeah? And you call me up that day, and, and, and it's, re it's got momentum, you're really believing it, you've got these feelings, yes, I feel like I've been bad, and whatever. And then you share it with me. And when you share it with me, I have the ability to be like Solomon. I have so much fucking wisdom about your thoughts and your feelings. I'm sitting there, you know, that is insane. That's incredibly crazy. And yet, at the same time, I could be doing the exact same thing with the same thoughts, and I have no immunity to it. Why don't I have... So it's not the thoughts that are screwing with me, or it's causing the disruption. It's not with me, or the chaos. It's the mind of the thought. And the my of the thought is, to me, represents two ways of being in relationship to thoughts as this. Either I'm the thinker of them, or they're about me, or a combination of those two. So every thought, maybe you see a lot of the thoughts. Most, most thoughts you don't see, but you see a lot of them during the day. But you don't see how you're holding them. And you're holding them like I'm the thinker of them. You believe they're your thoughts. You do. There's a belief that there's a you that's having, that's thinking these thoughts, or these thoughts are about me, yeah? or about them in relation to me. So the thoughts, the bonding, I believe, is those two beliefs, not the thoughts themselves. 
Because I've seen that I have immunity to thoughts, but I don't have any immunity to my thoughts. I have tons of immunity to your feelings, but I have no immunity to my feelings. I have no guilt and shame about your reactions, but I have tons of guilt and shames about my reactions in life. You have to believe, first of all, if there's a lot of guilt and shame that you keep entertaining, there is a sense, a strong sense of being the doer of your life. And if, and if you have that strong sense of being the doer, then you'll misread step one in the recovery program, which says you are powerless over alcohol. If you are powerless over alcohol, why do you have so much guilt and shame about the behavior that was exhibited when you were under the influence of alcohol? It's like when you, if you were dancing with a gorilla, you would stop when it wanted to stop, yeah? You would really have no say in the dance. You would be dancing with the gorilla, and I, I want to stop, but you'd still be dancing. Because it's like 500 pounds, and it's running the show. Well, this parasite of alcoholism obviously did the same thing to all of us. It took us over, and yet, this identification as being the self, a doer and the haver, is so strong, we keep applying that sense of personal doership to all the behavior that was done under alcoholism and addiction. And we're still mining those fields for guilt and shame to reinforce the belief that we're a long-lasting, independent, separate, guilty and shameful self. We should have done something different. Yeah? Where's the freedom in that? But if you sit there and read what powerless means, it means you're powerless. Why isn't it that you haven't let yourself off the hook then? It's not because it's made your life easier, it's made your life a lot worse. But it makes the mind right. It's much more important that it's belief that it's the doer is much more important than any relief you don't have or get. It really is. It wants to be right. So this mental process has a strong determination to keep representing life as a self. Even though when great evidence and things that, let's say, you say you honor so much, like the recovery program, yet you're not living the principles of it. The true principles of it. You're not living the principle of the how and why of the whole program is to quit playing God. And yet, the mind is playing God within the confines of the program. Really, look at it. If you look at, to me, humbly, the third step is changed for me. I want an understanding of the higher power that I want. Is a, I, want it, I want to know it by its own understanding. I do not want to know it by my understanding. Because if I frame a God of my understanding, it's going to be a weaker God than the self that's playing God in my head. <laughs> it may get me parking spaces you know, at the meeting next week or you know, get me a job or something like that, but it, it won't bring about freedom from the bondage of self. It'll be used to bond me even more to self. Yeah? But so it says, I want to, you know, I'm going to, I want to know God of its own understanding. I want to experience or have a realization of God's understanding of itself. Because that is total freedom. That's a new freedom and a new happiness. Yeah? Not a contrived one in this little frame of self-centeredness. And the quit playing God, it says that's the how and why of the whole program. Quit playing God. It doesn't work. Where does where is there where is any where is the playing God going on in one's head, isn't it? When you wake up in the morning and your head tells you how the day's going to be, and then you roll over and don't get up, you must have believed it's forecast, yeah. When it tells you that you're a loser, 
against all evidence, when your life gets really good, I've seen it in recovery, where people had an old belief that they were a loser. They come in recovery and they start, life starts getting better. They get a job, they get an apartment, they, get, they meet a nice girl, and then this inner pressure starts occurring. Because they got this idea that they're a loser, but they're not getting any reflection of being a loser. And it's flipping this little parasite out. So something has to give. So what happens a lot of times? They get loaded, and then, then they're right. You see? I'm a loser. And then a weird comfort comes over their mind. Not in their life, but in the parasite of the alcoholism. It can relax again. It's got total control over you. It's played God once again. So quit playing God. To me, what's playing God is listening to that head narrate a life. As me, for me, by me, to me. I like to switch, you know, station. Hey, Paul, I mean, I bought every product it has to offer. It's the same frequency every day playing the same old songs. Led Zeppelin. Whole lot of love, but a bump, but a bump, but not right now, but a bump, but a bump. It'll never be, but a bump, but a bump. Another fairy princess, but a bump, but a bump. She's going to leave me, but a bump, but a bump. You know, that's what happens. You want that antenna can pick up other stations. A station that broadcasts a sense of being okay now. Not tons of advertisements about how you can be okay later if you buy this and do this and go there and get that. No, but a recognition of okayness now. A sense of okayness. A sense of it. It doesn't have to be a, uh, reinforced by your circumstances. You can have the lousiest situations and have a great sense of okayness. Yeah? Because the ofness overrides the inness. There's a thing I used to do with a deck of cards. In our society, what they said was the ace was circumstances and situations. They said to me, when I was growing up, if you get everything, all your ducks in a row, and you go to school, and you get this and you get that, it's going to translate into you being happy, Paul. Yeah? Okay. Then, after a while, that wasn't working out all the time. So then a lot of people start working on their body. Like in AA, it says, you know, first take care of the spiritual and the physical and mental will follow. Most people go to the physical and mental. So now let's say I start working out and I'm surfing every day and I'm working out and my body looks good. I'm 12 hour yoga classes and stuff like that. But I'm like shit crazy when I leave the yoga class. You know, I'm in the, looking at the mirror every day and I stretch a little farther and I'm totally obsessed, not with the body, but with the concept of the body. Yeah? And so the body condition, and let's say I get sick, the body condition will definitely outshine my circumstances and situations. I could have three Mercedes Benz, but if I'm sick to my stomach, I'm not enjoying the moment. They're not tra translating to an ease and comfort. So the body condition can outride, override the circumstances and situations. So let's say I get my body beautiful, 14 hours yoga, but my mind's crazy. The mind will definitely override the body condition and the outside circumstances and situations. Now, those are the, all the aces that most people entertain as being in the deck. But there's another ace in the deck, which is spiritual condition. And a spiritual condition can over, override circumstances and situations. It can override body condition. And it can override mental condition. Yes? It's the ace. Yeah? And the, to me, the greatest spiritual condition is to know you are one. If you know you are one, that's the greatest maintenance of it, because now it's running all the time. It's not like running when you go on the retreat, 
and then shuts off when you go to work. It's constantly on all the time. It's constantly lubricating by being. Yes? That's the greatest spiritual condition. And it says in recovery that daily reprieve is contingent or based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. What better way to maintain it than to run it all the time? Yes? To know that it's on all the time is its greatest maintenance. To make it something that you, like run the spigot of, is playing God. Oh, I feel like I'm really spiritual today. Oh, that's great. Until when? 11 o'clock? Then something happens. You don't feel like you're spiritual. Do you want to base your spiritual condition on your head? And if you're waiting to convince this thing, this thing is can, it can be convinced wholeheartedly and five seconds later be unconvinced. Yeah? You cannot thoroughly convince your conditioned head of anything because it's based in duality. It's con- it can be convinced and unconvinced. Like that. Yeah? But true convincing is in your gutter. It's like an unspoken yes. It's like some kind of a commitment or an honoring. There's been a recognition and that's that. The recognition isn't based on how I'm feeling or how I'm thinking or how my circumstances or situations are. There's just a recognition of always what's so is always so and that's that. To me, that allows a lot of traveling light here. And if it was any kind of Effort, I'd have to sign you up. And I, first of all, I wouldn't want to lead any classes, to tell you the truth. If I was like a teacher of this and you had to come to 12 weeks, I'd miss the third week, for sure. Because I'd be bored of it. I'd be bored of any fucking process. Because every process, is thousands of processes here. Have they worked? No. Everything is about getting something. What we need is nothing. Yeah? So we invite you to entertain this, and then you're off in free range. And life will teach us that your own life, your own particular situations are the best invitation. Better than the ones you think are contrived in the situation where it's peaceful and the water's running beautifully and da 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 I went on this, this retreat. It was really cool at a big uh, Buddhist center. I used to call it the upper middle way. You know, in Buddhism, was, they call it the middle way. This is the upper middle way. It had, I wanted not to leave because the room was better than my house where I lived. They had eagle claw bathtub. It was great. They had to pry me out of that thing. It was like the cost to stay here is eleven hours. I'll do eleven hours. I roamed the woods. I wasn't meditating. I was just going walking through the streets. <laughs> great food. It was fantastic. <laughs> but the best part of the retreat when I was there, it was so cool. It was, I was there like I don't know, two and a half weeks. Some of these people were signed up for three months and then some for a week. And, you know, it was all different types. And they feeding you every three times a day. Really freaking good food. And it was supposed to be a silent retreat. So everyone was walking around, you know, very quietly. So every night we file in to get dinner. Six o'clock. So we're all walking. And one day I got there early. You know, so we're walking a little faster than the rest, I guess. I got there a little early. And they put out ice cream this one night. It's like the 11th night of the retreat. That was, that was the whole retreat that night. Watching people walk in and recognizing there was ice cream and watching all those reels that had been quiet for 11 days. They were like, some of them bypassed any food, got the ice cream first, made sure they ate it, get another one. Others figured out, okay, I'll get some ice cream, put it on the table, get the food, come back. It was just incredible. That was the retreat. Watching mine. You can meditate eight years. You ever see there's a movie, uh, a German film called Samsara? It's a really cool film. And there's this, in the beginning, there's this monk, it's Tibetan Buddhism. Nothing to say. I'm, please, I'm not, this is, this is just a 
draw a picture. So in this Tibet, they have these things called two years, two months, I think, two days and two hour retreats where these people go away and they sit in a place for two years and they get food brought to them and then they come out. So they, and they're like rock stars to some of the young monks. So the people go to get this one guy out and he's there, he's super long hair and he's in like samadhi or whatever, you know, in the trance. Fingernails are really long. And they take him out and they, and he can't even get him out of his posture. He's been sitting there so long. And they bring him back to the temple and he says, all right, you young monk, you stay with him tonight. And the young monk's like, you know, it's like being with, you know, a rock star, Al Pacino or someone. And he's watching there. And then he's watching the, the old, the, the, the other monk lovingly. And he's, and then suddenly a tent gets formed in the bed. Yeah? In his middle part of his body. The, old, the monk that they just pulled out. And suddenly it gets wet. The guy has a wet dream. <laughs> two years, two months, two days. He finally gets out. Immediately the mind gets kicks in. <laughs> Tell me which is more powerful. Give me a friend. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why wouldn't we want to conquer something that's imaginary? How can, a, how can a product of a mental process transcend where it comes from? Self can't get out of self. Yeah? It's, a, it's a made up by a mental process. How could it ever transcend and be something real outside of that? It only appears real here. Yeah? This is the only place it appears real. There is no self that's transcending this place and being a self somewhere else in heaven. There's, heaven is the absence of self, literally. Yeah? So why would I want to work so hard trying to get out of something I'm not in? Why would I want to keep applying solutions to an imaginary problem? The only problem, only solution worth its salt is the recognition that it's imaginary. Yeah? When you actually recognize, just entertain, give it a little bit of attention and interest that possibly, just possibly, it's not happening. What I think, in it. and it's definitely not happening to who I think it's happening to. Just maybe for a second entertain that. In that moment, the possibility of being free is available. Because to me, the solution immediately became applicable when I realized the problem was imaginary. As soon as I recognized the problem was imaginary, there wasn't like I had a now do a process that sense the presence. The presence was sensed as, quote-unquote, me. Instead of trying to sense the presence as me, as, as the presence as an object, the presence was sensed, it was as me. Yeah? As what I was calling me. So here, if your house is on fire and you believe it is, get a pail of water. But remember, that's what's happening in this place. You're not of this place. You're from a fireless state. And if you can entertain that, then this place will start becoming less and less fire with you. You'll travel lighter through it. It won't change the terrain of your light, but it'll allow, it'll allow you, as to what you're appearing to be, to travel lighter. Because the true freedom in two-ness is the entertaining of this oneness. And obviously, what we were saying before, then there's a negation of both being... Two-ness and oneness negates, and that's the neutral state. Ah, beautiful. Huh? <laughs> Any questions? Like the seating arrangement? This is good, eh? Yeah. 
Because the message is never going to change, so we're just going to change the room. Move seat positions. I look better in dark light anyway. You don't want to get a good look at me. What? I know, I know. So you can look like you're interested and just see. All right, well, we'll pass the basket, eh?